You're listening to the AfterBuzz TV Network. Now the largest new media platform on the web and your number one source for after-show entertainment. Very good, Buzz Studios in Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menunos and Bing.com, and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies. This is AfterBuzz TV's Teen Wolf After Show. We'll break down tonight's episode and get you all the latest news and gossip. And now, another post-game wrap-up show for your favorite TV show. It's AfterBuzz TV's Teen Wolf After Show. Hello, AfterBuzzers. Bing is for doing, and we're here doing another AfterBuzz TV after show for MTV's Teen Wolf, Season 3, Episode 12, Lunar Ellipse. I'm your host, Kristen Elizabeth Snyder. Joining me this evening, Teen Wolf's executive producer, head writer, and creator, Jeff Davis. Also executive producer, Joe Janier. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for coming. It means so much to us and to the fans. Thank you. We love your show. Yeah. We love your show. <laughs> and if you guys don't know at home, Jeff was also the creator of Criminal Minds, which just got renewed for its ninth season. Yes. I mean, so much success for someone so young. I mean, we have... Not that young. <laughs> <laughs> you look, look really young. great you look for you. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard some of the Teamsters on set call me the kid. <laughs> I was going to ask nicknames on set because um, Holland was in here and she said she calls Hecklin Christian Abs. So I was going to ask about nicknames on set. So they call you the kid? I've never heard that. I know, uh, <laughs> we call Posey Posey. Um, Hecklin gets heck a lot. Uh, no. Not many other nicknames. No, not in front of people. Yeah. No. <laughs> we have a lot of things we say behind their backs. What about Joe? What, what do you call Joe? <laughs> the engineer? I call him Janeer. I'm usually shouting, where the hell's Janeer? That's true. <laughs> I'm roaming around. I'm a roamer. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you could join us tonight yeah. as well. I mean, this season has been a huge success for MTV, and it's relatable not just to teenagers, but to all demographics because of its fast pace, the challenging mysteries that you guys put together, and how reflective it is of the youth culture. Season three has been about the rise of power and grasping for power, and this season was definitely the scariest. Um, it's full of horror and Suspense, But what I really like about this show is with the telecular currents, the mix of mythology and science and legend, it's like it's not just horror. It's all there's folklore and everything behind it. And I know you do a lot of research, Jeff. I heard you went on a trip to Greece, actually. We that was did. kind of a work trip. So, like, why did you go there? Because you knew you were writing this storyline? And what well, did you get from going? I, I don't take vacations, so uh, <laughs> that was sort of a, we called it a workcation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christian Taylor, uh, my co-executive producer and I, um, and who's my other uh, uh, phenomenal writer and partner in crime on it, um, we went to Greece uh, basically to get away from L.A. for a little while and also to uh, break the season 3A storyline. And I had had an idea about where I wanted to go with it with Druid Mythology. We'd been building up to that for two seasons, um, but we hadn't really planned out every little detail. So we wanted to, um, we wanted to get away and basically, um, John Wells does this actually, where he takes all of his writers to Hawaii. Um, <laughs> I could afford to take one. <laughs> so, ER, ER had a, they take the producers, yeah. but not ER, <laughs> ER had didn't a, get to go, Joe. ER had a bigger budget, so, um, <laughs> But uh, 
we we worked out quite a bit of the uh, uh, the season there, and even planted seeds seeds for uh, the next season, season three B, the winter season. So, um, what that was did it. you find in Greece that you know you couldn't have maybe done research here to find? Sunburn. Uh, yeah. Well, actually, there was there was little research done. It oh, was really? mostly just to get away. And actually, I was doing um, post production at three and four in the morning in oh. Greece because uh, my work really never stops. So I would be sending uh, effects notes and edit notes uh, from the lobby of the hotel uh, at four in the morning because I couldn't get enough of a Wi-Fi signal in my hotel room. Actually, <laughs> but <laughs> that's that's what we do. Um, we we take our work with us. Oh. Wow. I was going to ask, do you actually like dream, have Teen Wolf dreams? Do you dream out episodes? Because I know you're yeah. always working. I'm I'm so exhausted. Usually by the end of the day, I I, uh, I think I'm in a state that's far too... Uh, you don't remember uh, your yeah. dreams. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I do, It you fall asleep at night mm-hmm. uh, thinking about it and wrestling with scenes. And uh, I call people in the middle of the night sometimes, uh, like Joe. If they're on yeah. set, I'll call them and I say, and I'll, I'll, I'll test out a scene on them. Um, I do heavy production drafts. I think I mentioned this before in interviews uh, where I can spend uh, hours rewriting one scene um, which is get, gets frustrating because some scenes you can write in five minutes and mm-hmm. you have two pages um, where it's just the dialogue flows. Others you struggle with for days. So it's, it's really uh, an attempt to uh, try to tell the best story you can. But um, when it gets up to... Uh, the last minute and they're like we need the pages Jeff where are the pages (laughs) you have to give them something (laughs) you have to give them up that's what it sounds like Yeah. so this episode was titled Lunar Ellipse instead Mm -hmm. of Eclipse and I kind of did some research and I saw that Ellipse meant like falling short of I I don't know what you were going for it also means cyclical uh, okay. it, in in the way that this episode is uh, uh, elliptical, it's kind of a uh, a not so perfect circle. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of comes back to uh, uh, the pilot episode, and it was really interesting to be able to um, craft the teaser of this episode, the cold open uh, that takes you all the way back to the first episode. We sort of we thought of we thought it was a, a kind of treat for the fans for the for the really dedicated viewers to Absolutely. be able to recognize these scenes. And if you look at the pilot episode. Uh, the car that almost hits Scott in the beginning of the episode is the same exact car that Arjun is driving at the end of the episode. So when he comes to uh, pick up Allison and we learn that Allison is the daughter of the werewolf hunter, he's driving that same car. And uh, we, wow. uh, Joe and I had talked about it. And Joe, uh, I said to Joe, well, I guess we can use the same car, right? And Joe said, well, how do we know it wasn't Argent that almost hit him? And when it came uh, uh, to, to writing this season uh, and figuring out how, how the, the teenagers, the three teenagers, figure out where the nematon is, mm-hmm. um, it sort of fell into place. And I, was, and I thought to myself, it wasn't Argent in the car. It was Allison and Victoria. So I, I, I attribute that to the subconscious writer, the one who's <laughs> hopefully hopefully working in your mind behind the scenes, piecing things together while you're sweating out the details in front of the computer. You know, I definitely believe in the subconscious uh, mm-hmm. writer. I think yeah. my subconscious is sometimes smarter than my <laughs> conscious, unfortunately. Um, so I want to talk about the nematon like you were talking mm-hmm. about and how, you know, they all kind of found themselves back there to this place they had already been. Now, was the nematon one that grew in the wrong direction, or was it a tree that was cut down? It was cut down. Okay. And the the lore says that uh, if you harm the tree in any way, you can bring great strife and... Mm. 
um, bad things, tragedy to the town. Um, we had the idea that uh, Beacon Hills was once a place where uh, many supernatural things happened and there were supernatural events and creatures. Uh, we kind of tried to build that into the um, into the uh, flashback episode, Visionary, uh, so that we could tell a kind of story that opened up the town as this beacon of supernatural creatures and say, what if we gave it power again? And the idea really was to make uh, Scott, Stiles, and Allison sort of the protectors of Beacon Hills now. Uh, they're not just teenagers anymore trying to do good. They're teenagers who have to because they're a little bit responsible now. Right. They've got it on themselves. Is that yeah. the darkness around their heart that's mm-hmm. them being responsible now for what's going on in the town? Yeah, in a way they've opened up a Pandora's box and they have to collect all the monsters and demons and things and put them back in. So uh, it was for a good cause, uh, but... There's going to be repercussions. 3B is where we see all those repercussions happen. So in the first episode, they're not in a good place. Uh, if Teen Wolf get any darker, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we might be going they're just there. moody teenagers yeah. in the first episode. But the nice thing about the first episodes of the season are we, that's where we get to play a lot of humor. We get to do a mm-hmm. lot of action. Um, we really, we really went for it this season with uh, a very complicated narrative. Um, I remember reading uh, tweets every week, and half the tweets are like, "Teen Wolf is so confused. Confusing. <laughs> but Not with like, After Buzz. I'm like, that's why we want you to watch it four times. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's always a payoff in the end, mm-hmm. and, and if you stick with it, and like the thing I like about it the most is the, the which Jeff puts in this mythology, and you can do your own research and follow back and see how it uh, works out, but. You will be rewarded in the end, and and for the the you know the audience that sticks with it. You know, there's a basket of fruit at the end of the rainbow there. Yeah. Love that analogy. <laughs> I love hearing the Jeff facts throughout the episode. I think we listed <laughs> them throughout the After Buzz shows. But we seriously learned something, and I will look them up then because I'm intrigued mm-hmm. then. So, like, you're teaching a lot of students at the same time because <laughs> you know all these fans are Googling right, away, right. trying to find out more about the show. Yeah. So, praise to you for also teaching the there's youth. A, that's like the, the, <laughs> the, like the mistletoe story that, that mm-hmm. Jeff researched. And, and it like worked into worked itself into the story and it fit it, really it nicely. It sat great and it, did. it just really worked out. Yeah. I really love how sexuality and race are sort of non-issues in this world and it's just very natural and it's not even discussed. Mm-hmm. What made you want to build a world like that? Cuz I I I'm happy that a teen show has finally done that because all the other teen shows seem to just argue about those situations that we really shouldn't be arguing about anymore. Well, it's a, it's a tricky thing to do. Um, I think it's far easier to do in a genre show, mm-hmm. which exists in a, a, a different kind of world with a different set of, uh, uh, with a different kind of suspension of disbelief. It's not the real world, mm-hmm. but we're presenting an idealized world, um, as much as we can. I mean, you can't really help, uh, all of your subconscious biases and, and prejudices leaking in uh, every now and then in, in both the writing, the performances, and the editing. Um, but we hope we're trying, we really try really quite hard to make it that kind of idealized world where um, there's no real homophobia, there's no racism, there's no sexism. Uh, it's not easy to do. Um, and it's very easy to trip up, and we do that as well. But uh, I, I like the fact that this show really attempts it. And the writers and I, um, we work hard at it. And I always have this feeling like um, if life imitates art, then maybe uh, 
uh, or is it the, art, did I get that backwards? Imi- art imitates li- <laughs> art imitates life. Then maybe life can imitate art as well. So no, we're trying I to do that. that. Um, and it's important to me as uh, a gay man myself to present those uh, present non stereotypical representations, um, and also to try to do that. Uh, I love writing strong female characters. I like female villains and female bad guys. But then um, uh, uh, I like. Uh, uh, the possibility of um, redemption as well. And it's interesting to see these characters. Like one of the, my favorite stories to do was Allison's story because she is the sweet, uh, innocent girl in the first season. Mm-hmm. Um, she finds out this uh, secret about her family. And then in the second season, we said, look, we're going to make her a villain. We're going to make her a complete villain. And then she's redeemed in the first uh, uh, half of this season. I loved seeing those scenes where she comes walking out and starts firing the arrow. And um, somebody was telling me that the Twitter feed was, like, blowing up about Allison and how badass she was. Yeah. <laughs> and it was great to be able to do that with her character. We want to – I always tell the writers we want to take a character from A to Z, not A to B. So it's nice to see them uh, uh, grow in certain ways. I think I feel like we've done that with Scott as well. So Absolutely. We're, we're always trying to do things like that. Yeah, yeah. No, we can tell. I really appreciate it, all the character arcs. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. But we have uh, a caller on the line. Hello, caller. What's your name? Where are you from? Sarah, are you there? Hi, Miss Kristen. My name is Sarah. <laughs> and <laughs> Hi, Sarah. Nice um, to hear I from you. I was calling because I was so excited that I heard, Hi, Jeff. I Hi. heard you were in studio. Yes. Um, I'm Sarah. I normally help Kristen host the show. Oh, hey. <laughs> I'm so sad that I couldn't be there this week. <laughs> but I had to talk to you a little bit, so I called. So, hello. Great. <laughs> <laughs> What did you think of the episode, Sarah? Um, I was really thrilled with it. Thank you so much, Jeff, for a great finale. Oh, cool. Um, My favorite part, I really just felt like this is such a high-stakes show, and I felt that the finale really lived up to that. Like, you thought it was bad enough, and then, of course, the wind had to strike up and, like, take the tree down because things (laughs) couldn't get any worse. Um, So I just felt that, like, the stakes just kept building and on top of that, I liked how things. I think I liked how things were resolved. I liked that we got to see Scott and Derek kind of take a turn in their relationship. I was happy that we got to see one of the twins. And I mean, I've been talking this whole season about how I've been waiting for this demon wolf to show up uh-huh. <laughs> every week. Every week, I'm like, why do I get to see him? I need to see the demon wolf. Um, we loved. So, like, we loved how it turned out. Especially yeah. with the red, the glowing red eyes. Yes. Um, well, the, the funny thing is, though, he showed up onto set and he was completely blue. What? <laughs> yeah. It was oh it was God. coral blue. So we had to do some work in in color correction to take take that out and make him a little more gray skinned. Um, but uh, I think the look was really cool. Um, and no, seeing I, seeing Gideon Emery transform that. in camera was great work yeah, by our great. CGI guys. Yeah. yeah. Good job. Yeah. For me, it was just like I, I was looking at it, and I was just like, "Well, he definitely represents some satanic possibilities right there." Demon <laughs> <laughs> in the forest. Um, but Jeff, I was wondering if I could ask you just like one or two questions. Absolutely. Okay, so one thing I know you guys were just talking about villains. Um, I didn't catch you have a favorite villain of the past couple seasons. Mm. Oh God, he's going to hate me for this, but 
I, I thought Haley was awesome. I mean, one of one of the things about Haley is, and I said this to her after watching the first cut of episode ten. I said, "You made the bad guy sympathetic, which is so important." Um, her performance was just perfect, I think, mm-hmm. and um, I really, I really loved her character. Um, it's uh, it's it's hard to write a character like that who does kill innocent people and still make the audience feel for them. Uh, she killed a lot of innocent teenagers. She killed a lot of people on her her uh, um, road to... Uh, those, are, those are sacrifices. Yes, sacrifices. <laughs> sacrifices. On her road to doing what she thought was the right thing. She thought uh, she was doing something good by getting rid of these, uh, um, these this alpha pack and that a few lives were worth the cost. Um, and she also was uh, sold. I think Haley really sold that she was still she was really in love with Derek. Um, yeah. And it was it was uh, it was great to see that performance come out. And it was great to we we had uh, lots of discussions about the flashback episode because uh, we knew we wanted to tie it to Jennifer's character and build her character off off of that off of a off of an accidental sacrifice at the Nemeton. And um, I think she sold it, and I think she did, did a really great job. So we love Peter Hale, of course, though too. So <laughs> I can't really play favorites; they're all they're all like children to me. But I think she knocked it uh-huh. out of the park. <laughs> well, I think that one of the reasons that I love your villains is just that it is that you give them those layers, uh, because you know you don't want to just hate anyone. And I, I especially with Haley and Peter and everyone, I think you accomplished that. So thank you. Um, also, another question, if I may. Um, so I was wondering, when you approach this show, obviously you get to like daydream about the future all the time, which we all get to do and then get proven wrong by whatever you do. <laughs> um, how far ahead um, do you think about these characters and the lives and the situations that they're going to get themselves into? Like, well, I'm thinking about next season, but where's your mind at? <laughs> Usually it's just next season. <laughs> um, it's a little daunting to think any further ahead because of the volume of work. Um, but mm-hmm. we we tend to we we map out twelve episodes at a time, and we talk about where are these characters going, what are they learning, um, how do they change. One of the most satisfying character arcs uh, for me to have done in this show was uh, Scott, our main character, who goes from this naive teenager. Um, uh, blissfully in love and uh, hopelessly unaware of just uh, how bad his circumstances are to a real leader, to a, a true leader, a true alpha. And we see him literally grow up, uh, which was one of the nice things to be able to do about uh, in, in Lunar Ellipse uh, was right. to see that transition. He looks like a man now and he's doing things uh, uh, that are, are worthy of the respect of an adult. He's becoming an adult and uh, we see those changes in, in the relationship happen. Uh, one of the things we talked about was uh, this season as well was where's Isaac going to go? How is he going to change? Um, so we like to do a major character arc and see uh, – we we take it from the idea of what do they want versus what do they need, um, and uh, this goes back to just tried and true screenwriting methods. A character has to want something, so we discover what they want in this season, their season long want, and then we try to put it in direct conflict with uh, precisely what they need. Um, I was talking in the writers' room about Rocky uh, the other day and how Rocky is a great example of the want and versus the need, whereas uh, it's basically he. Um, wants to go uh, uh, nine rounds with uh, Apollo. But what does he need? He needs the love of Adrian. And that's why at the end of the movie, 
he's yelling out Adrian when a reporter's trying to talk to him about how does it feel to have gone nine rounds with Apollo. Um, and it's why it's what makes it not only a great sports movie, but a great movie in general, because we feel that need. So we're always looking for that kind of emotion as well in the story. And uh, I think I think it, I think at our best we succeed when uh, the characters get both what they want and what they need. Yeah, Great I answer. Trying, like, <laughs> I was very ph- yeah, philosophical. I was, <laughs> I was like so involved in like thinking during that. So I was just like, wow. And then I was like, and there was such a nod to that in this episode also with the flashbacks. Like, I'm, while I was watching it, when you got to see them go back to those initial moments, you realize how much they've really come and how much yeah. they've grown. Yeah, that was fantastic. I mean, it was it was actually great to see Tyler. You know, we said Tyler and Dylan when they all like uh, crept into the shot, and uh, we had a cast and crew screening uh, just prior to the premiere. And when we saw their faces come on the screen, I was like, oh, you know, look how it was very nostalgic. It was, and we didn't know where Teen Wolf was going at the time we were shooting that, and. it's great to see what it's evolved into and great to see yeah. how those actors have evolved, both both on storyline and as people themselves. I can give another example of plotting ahead. Uh, I knew the Canima storyline of season two when we were shooting the pilot. Didn't, mm. I, didn't I tell you about you that? You were talking about it, yeah. yeah. Um, that I'd looked up this myth, which was a South American yep. uh, were jaguar, actually. But I'd always wanted to do sort of a reptilian uh, shapeshifter, so we modified the myth a bit. Um, but we, we usually like to stay pretty true to, to the mythologies. Uh, but, you know, it's a show about teenage werewolves. <laughs> <laughs> we're going we're gonna to bend things here and there. <laughs> Sarah, thanks so much happen. for calling in. Of course. And we wish oh, you were here. Bye, Sarah. Sorry we didn't get to see I you. I wish I was there, too. Thank you so much, Jeff, for answering my questions. Thank you. And I've loved all the, yeah. the shows you guys have done. I've watched them. <laughs> ah, thanks. We- I mean, we're fans. We can't help it. <laughs> so, you guys enjoy the rest of your show. Thanks, and sir. I can't wait for next season. <laughs> yeah. <Cheers. laughs> Bye. So you guys decided to make Teen Wolf serialized instead of doing, like, a monster of the week. But mm-hmm. now that we have, like, Beacon Hills is going to be drawing all these monsters in, had you guys talked about that? A different monster kind of coming in each week? Um with the new episode order, which is 24 episodes a year, um, we had talked about how it would be a lot easier to do just that. Like, I just want to do procedural every week. So That's why, week. well, one of the things we did was uh, uh, the first two episodes of season 3B, the, the winter season, uh, feels actually like its own uh, storyline. Um, and I think that was that was nice for us to be able to do. And I said to the writers, "This is great. Why can't we do this every week? Because holding doing a serialized story is quite difficult. I mean, you saw on show, you see on shows like Revenge, where they can stumble very easily, and uh, um, things get very unwieldy with all these plot lines going around. And uh, we we don't use whiteboards in the writers' rooms like most uh, TV writers' rooms use. We use a program called Mind Mapping, uh, where we place it all together, and uh, it can be jarring for new writers coming onto the show because they're used to uh, dry erase boards and I've got this software that we use <laughs> oh, and they're, they're sitting there looking for their dry erase marker <laughs> and uh, I know you're very techy because yeah. you worked in writing software programs I was I was a uh, an IT uh, consultant uh, and I actually wrote manuals for software for a while that's yeah. incredible so um, they had really long plot points and yeah. uh, 
but a story like <laughs> but a story like this can become pretty unwieldy. Um, and and what we like to do, what we hope we can we do successfully, is tie those things all together in the in the season finale. I like to leave some questions open, though. Mm-hmm. I like to have the I, I love the idea of audience uh, members. Uh, being able to talk about it, being able to be frustrated by by the stories and say, well, what what, what was supposed to happen there? And and filling it in with their own minds, you know? I mean, did Derek tell Peter to have Ennis bite Paige? Or did Peter just do it on his own? Um, That question isn't answered in the episode. Will we ever find out? I'm not sure. (laughs) I mean, in a certain certain point, I mean, if Derek knew the repercussions, that does not make Derek a very good person, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So he would have to believe that he was basically making Paige a superhero, but without her consent, which is also a big problem, too. Um, But something a naive 15 or 16-year-old might do. Uh, I, I love to see characters make mistakes, very big mistakes, <laughs> because then you get to redeem them later on, yeah. or they, they have to worry about it and stress about it and suffer. It's always best when you can see these characters suffer, um, and suffer a great deal, because they can come out of it feeling, being heroic. Right. I, I, uh, I know there was, I've, I've heard from uh, Matt, our social media guy, that there were plenty of people who, who couldn't stand the, the fact that Derek was suffering so much this season. <laughs> we love you it. We do love to torture your we characters. Love it, but, but then I, we can see their growth. Yeah, and the other thing is, in the writer's room, we talked about how Derek's real power is to endure. That you can mm-hmm. throw anything at him. Yeah. That you can you can kill his pack, you can kill his family, and he will survive. That's Derek is point. very much like uh, uh, the man with no name um, in the Sergio Leone westerns. He goes through all this, and he'll walk out of town the same person, and just as tough. Um I think uh, I think Hecklin really plays that well too. He's he's a bit of a cowboy, and mm-hmm. he's going to have a very new role uh, in season three B in the winter season. But I think I, I'm quite happy with the uh, the fact that in in three twelve he was the one with the plan. He was the one with the twist. He was the one who said to Jennifer, um, "He doesn't know what you look like." Yeah. He got right into her Jennifer's Jen- Jennifer with all these high ideals of. Uh, making the world a safer place there's still a little tiny bit of vanity in her show him what you look show him show him what Kali did and he he got right into that so um it's uh it's it's our own, our the foibles of all all humankind and our vanities and he he located it um and used it against her yeah I mean, Derek has always been that tragic hero, and obviously he's learned to sacrifice himself this season. And I like the pairing we got with the Derek, mm-hmm. with um, Jennifer and Scott, with the uh, Deucalion. Mm-hmm. And, but Derek was often blindly doing things wrong this season, so it makes sense if he will kind of, you know, join up with Scott's pack and, yes. and be okay with that. But we kind of see Derek go off with his sister Cora. Mm-hmm. And I, I heard and read, you know, that there's something he's going to get for his family. But in, in this episode where we see him leaving, does he know he's going to get something that means something for his family? Does he know about that mission or is he kind of just trying to get away from the chaos? Um, he leaves for two reasons. And you'll find out those two reasons in, uh, <laughs> in the first episode of, of the winter season, January 6th. Got it. <laughs> I got to leave you hanging on something. No, yeah, We're actually go for filming it. it right now. I'm like, well, that's just blah 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 blah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, uh, 
Don't say a that word. Is, <laughs> quiet. <laughs> quiet. So a lot of people I know, they see Teen Wolf and they think that this is just like a teen show, which it's clearly not. I know a lot of demographics and adults that also enjoy the show. Now, did you have a say in whether the TV show would keep the same name as the 1985 movie? Uh, there was a moment where we were, we were thinking we were going to have to change the name, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were rights issues. Um, a lot of uh, stuff in Hollywood gets made on the basis of of uh, how much or how much fear can we can we uh, manage, you know? And <laughs> and basing a TV show that's very on, true. It is. It's and basing a TV show on a known commodity is less fearful than base than than putting a TV show on the air that no one's ever heard of. So. Uh, it, for for me, it was I, I loved the Michael J. Fox movie, mm-hmm. but I asked MTV, "How do you guys really want to do this?" Um, and I had always said, I've said this in interviews before, um, if the show was sort of like Lost Boys, that had uh, great kids but great parents too. Uh, I loved Diane Weist in mm-hmm. Lost Boys. Um, I loved the grandpa, the twist with the grandpa at the end. Uh, I loved um, the reveal of who the head vampire really was, you know, but I also loved Jason Patrick and Gifford Sutherland and Corey Haim. Um, <laughs> I just thought if we could do that as a series and if we could succeed, we might have something and it might be really fun to do. We could do mm-hmm. humor. Mm-hmm. Um, it, we're a show that doesn't take ourselves that seriously. I mean, we have our serious drama, but five minutes later you could be laughing as well and I like that uh, there's a danger to that because you you run the risk of being called cheesy or being called camp but I don't really care no you guys <laughs> you guys get it right I'll tell you that yeah. you're one of the few shows where I'll be crying and then a moment later I'm laughing but yeah. I'm still crying and it's it's not campy I don't know how you do it but you've got it perfectly <laughs> and I think a lot of fans would agree it's a hard tone to manage it really That's is true. Yeah. No, true. but we love to make the audience laugh just as much as we love to scare them and I appreciate that. <laughs> it's a nice balance. Um, so in the 1985 movie, the guy Scott's dad is actually a werewolf. Mm-hmm. Can we expect Scott's dad to be supernatural at all or to see Scott transform? Well, the um, the initial idea I had when uh, we were talking about we've, – we've been talking about Scott's dad actually for a while and, and when to properly introduce him. And uh, we talked about was he a werewolf? Was he – um, a hunter was he this or that and I, I said I really think we should just make him a normal guy just a um, really tall FBI guy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we should make him a guy who who maybe has made some mistakes and maybe isn't the greatest guy mm-hmm. um, uh, I like I love redemption stories and I like seeing I think um, uh, men in certain ways uh, uh, fail as adults and and they don't change and I love the idea that a grown man a 40 something year old man can be changed by uh, a teenage boy that by by a teenage boy who doesn't see the world in shades of gray he just blindly sees it in black and white and he just wants to be a hero I like mm-hmm. that idea you've got to place people like Styles around him who do see the world in shades of gray to temper that but um, I like the fact that uh, that Scott and Styles bring about great changes in people, uh, people like Derek or even people like Peter, who is still much, very much a bad guy, <laughs> but even that will be tested. And it's nice to see Peter, uh, there are moments in, in, in Ian Bowen's performance where you see regret, which I really like. Mm-hmm. So. No, I... I really am excited for Peter's story. I mean, are we going to get his backstory as to why it is that he is so evil? 
Um, I actually, when I talked to both Ian Bowen and Michael Fjordback, who plays young Peter, uh, that's actually not a very complicated explanation. Mm-hmm. I told uh, Michael, Peter is a destroyer. He is a ruiner. He is the guy who, if he's walking into a, uh, walking through a parking lot and sees a beautiful car, he has to flick out his fingernail and just <laughs> scratch it a little. He just has to destroy things. And that's why with Paige, he cannot help himself. With Derek, Derek and Paige, he sees something that seems sort of perfect and beautiful, and he must destroy it. He must wreck it. <laughs> so it's this instinct in him, and I think it's, a, it's a, something that probably makes him a bit of a psychopath. But right. uh, just a little bit, as he yeah. thinks he's the alpha, yeah, and he's going to be trying to reclaim that. Are, are we going to see Peter try to manipulate Scott the way that he tried to manipulate Derek? He's always he's always got a game plan, yeah. So, and we have fun with that. He mm-hmm. is the Iago to Derek's Othello, and it's in in the same way when Othello becomes uh, aware uh, of just how he's being manipulated, he goes uh, goes crazy, um, and I think. Uh, You'll see that with Derek a little too. Um, he needs Derek needs to become aware of just how manipulative Peter is and just how sold he is on Peter's lies. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to see some of that as well. Uh, Derek, I think, is going to have a really good character arc in in the winter season because we've essentially uh, we've built him up as sort of a Greek tragic hero who's mm-hmm. who's done in by his own hubris in the second season, who deals with the repercussions of that hubris in the third season in three A. And now is on the path to becoming a real hero. And what does he do with that? Where does his life lead now? That's oh. exciting. And yeah. and Peter, he's the good guy one minute. He's the bad guy. He's the mm-hmm. good guy. I love that. You know, I feel like villains, I really think to get a story right, the villains have to be as in-depth and mm-hmm. developed as the main character. And yeah. I think that's a great thing that you do with this show and I'm always excited for the villains of the show because I know that they're going to be based in reality because you do your mm-hmm. research and I think that if they weren't the crowd would, wouldn't you know maybe want to invest in them as much right. but because we know that they're kind of based in reality off this folklore it like already gives them some honesty in our minds that we want to invest in getting to know who they are and where they came from and yeah. where you got the tail and, <laughs> and, and yeah you make us really I felt bad for Jennifer this season, you mm-hmm. know, as the Duroc. And at one point, you know, we the I, writers did too. We were sitting there thinking, do we have to kill her? Does she yeah. have to die on the show? We can bring <laughs> her back, can't we? No one ever really dies in Teen Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> we also love Haley. I mean, she's great. Yeah. So. Haley should be hired by uh, everyone. I will call, <laughs> I will call every um, producer out there and tell them what an unbelievable rock star she is. What we were wondering is, I mean, this whole season was about her gaining power to kind of take on the demon wolf. Right. And she did get to do that, but then she did get her uh, vengeance against Kali. And I was kind of feeling in that scene that Kali might say she might be apologetic or might say sorry or something because she didn't really want to kill her. But she wasn't. She was completely... You know, she said she'd do it again if she could. Yeah. Well, that's that makes... uh, Kali is one of those people who's had the compassion pushed out of her. Um, and I think that's uh, by being in a pack with Ennis and and uh, Deucalion. And Kali might have been a far better person mm-hmm. uh, when Jennifer was in her pack and, and her emissary. Um, I think that uh, 
we we wanted to give uh, Felicia a really good out because um, <laughs> we knew we were coming. We were, we were trying to build up to an epic death scene, right? And if you're gonna die on TV, you might as well make <laughs> it epic. <laughs> and I came up with that line on the set actually that night. I had finished the script and I knew that something was missing, and I was like, "What kind of? Who is Kali at this point? Is she someone who would say sorry? Is she someone who does regret?" And in ten, in episode ten, three ten. Uh, we did want to play that regret. Mm-hmm. We did want to play the, why did I have to kill her? Why did I have to, I, I killed all of my werewolves like you asked me. Why did I have to kill her as well? And it was a person she had confided in, she had trusted, but she was so um, seduced by Deucalion and mm-hmm. so willing to be part of this super pack of werewolves that she mm-hmm. had to do it. And what she's saying in the end there uh, with that line that we came up with, <laughs> um, I should have ripped your head off, which is, I think it, it is actually true regret. Um, she's, that's as close to an apology as you're going to come from her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but she, I mean, and in a sense, what she's doing is she's giving her a good fight. Yeah. Felicia had some mm-hmm. great, she had some great looks in, you know, 310 and, and mm-hmm. uh, 311 where you could see the regret just in these glances that she gave camera and it, right. uh, it really played out. And like you were talking about, like feeling bad for the villain. Um, not that they would feel that bad for her, but uh, there was a moment, a couple moments yeah. there that it really kind of played out. That she was part, you know, she probably got on this roller coaster that was Decalion and just couldn't get off. But the funny thing is, is you want your audience to beg for the bad guy's <laughs> death. Yeah. <laughs> you want them sitting there and you want them frustrated when the bad guy doesn't die, too. <laughs> I'm sure people were frustrated by Decalion surviving, yeah. um, which can be. Which can be a good thing uh, as a writer. You want to frustrate your audience. You want to have them kind of just be like gripping the the, the the chair and being like, that's not how it was supposed to end. And then they they keep coming back. But that, that came full circle with, I mean, DeCallion walking away and, and then both Scott and uh, um, uh, Derek saying the thing about uh, you were a man of vision once. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, that whole like, that whole theme of vision and, and, mm-hmm. and the in 3A really came out great and yeah. um, there's also happy something about end. the fact that well if if we did want him to die <laughs> Derek and Scott would basically have had to execute him yes <laughs> thank <laughs> you right. you're done and you don't you don't want <laughs> to do that to your heroes yeah. there was a there was a funny uh a scene in, in episode 11 of last scene where I was watching the first cut and I hadn't I'm on set a lot but I hadn't seen all the the footage shot and there's a scene where one of the hunters it's it's in the it's when Gerard is is about to cut Isaac in half um, there's a moment where Scott goes up and claws a guy in the back and the guy just goes ah! and then falls out of screen and I'm sitting there going wait a minute did Scott, did just, Scott just kill that guy <laughs> <laughs> I said to the director did, did he kill someone in this scene? And the director said, yeah, that, that was probably too violent. And I'm like, Scott can't kill anyone. He <laughs> was adjusting the spine. Yes. The guy felt it and just fell out of frame. So we, we cut around it. But I was like, oh, that's funny. I was like, you're the, the innocent hero who has to, in a way, Scott's, mm-hmm. Scott's only a 17-year-old boy now. And he's <laughs> you can't take him down that dark path. No. Dark and he's one of the few superheroes who does not kill anyone. Yeah. And I really like, I can't really name another superhero. Well, there was all that kill. debate about Man of Steel, the ending of Man of Steel, where, um, there was this big controversy. Entertainment Weekly wrote about it uh, that Superman kills Zod in the end. Sorry, spoiler alert. What? <laughs> um, but it's uh, <laughs> but can can Superman kill someone? And uh, 
it, I didn't mind it in the story, but I think you have to earn stuff like that. Mm-hmm. If Scott eventually does kill someone, it has to be because there is absolutely no other choice, you know. Right. And it's to save so many other people. I thought that Deucalion was going to pull the Scott, I am your father card. <laughs> I was so waiting for that because I know yeah. you like Star Wars, but that didn't happen. Um, so Deucalion, I felt like he really was this angry, mad villain because he had lost his sight. So now that Derek tricked Jennifer into healing his eyesight and you know they're encouraging him to be a man of vision again, is he going to take that and and, you know, be that change that they want him to be or can we expect him to come back and you know be another antagonist next season uh he got we'll, a job at we'll lens see. crafters he's their <laughs> spokesman now and. we'll see but he definitely I, I will say that he doesn't go unmentioned mm-hmm. in the first mm-hmm. few episodes of 3b uh so you'll you'll know which oh God, path. I almost said something again it's terrible <laughs> oh, yeah. you know this is live yeah <laughs> um this will not you'll, be edited <laughs> you'll you'll understand his path in uh one of the first few episodes of the winter season all right. I, I'm mm. really excited about Deucalion. We had uh, Gideon on our first episode of After Buzz, and he was just He's a phenomenal so much guy. fun. Yeah, I'm really so glad that you voices. didn't kill him yet. <laughs> yes, <laughs> video true. game legend. Um, so I, we need to talk about styles. Absolutely. <laughs> because I think that, you know, there's Scott, and then everybody else's favorite is Styles. And actually, in the 1985 movie, um, Scott, the main character, he, in the end, doesn't end up choosing his crush, but he chooses to be with his best friend, who in the movie is a girl, yeah. but who I see now as, you know, Styles. <laughs> so, right. Booth is Styles. Which, yeah, which we kind of see in the end of, you know, this 3A finale is, that you know, great, him choosing yeah. Styles, his friendship with Styles. And, like, you guys don't beat the audience down with messages or themes, which mm-hmm. I like, but they're definitely there, you know, with friendship and yeah. the single parent and those kind of different themes. I mean, do you, are there messages that you're trying to get into the audience at all, or do they just naturally come from your story? I, I would say some of it comes from my own experience as uh, um, one of three boys raised by a very hardworking single mother who just was, is is still very much a hero to us. Uh, she's just amazing. Um, but And I can't believe she was able to work two jobs and raise three horrible boys <laughs> um, but uh, the idea of, of friendship though is is very powerful uh, to me and uh, we knew this season that um, in, in 3A Scott wasn't going to have any real romance it was going to be the longings for his this uh, uh, the longings for a kind of failed romance or, or a romance that had ended um, possibly not forever um, but uh, we wanted to see what it was like for him to struggle with that. And I think what we wanted to do was bring the theme back around to uh, his pack, is the forming of this very unusual mm-hmm. pack where some are werewolves, one's a banshee, uh, <laughs> another is another, his superpower basically is his mind, his detective skills, and one's even a hunter. So, uh, and to me, it's these unusual clicks that occur now. Mm-hmm. We also, in, in keeping with the idea that, um, 
there's no homophobia. Try, we try to, we try for no homophobia, or no racism, no sexism. There's also no cliques. It's not mm-hmm. a huge thing to be popular at Beacon Hills High School. It's a big thing to be noticed and to to hope you you're liked. But we don't have all the uh, kind of mean girls cliques in Beacon Hills. Um, I didn't realize that till yeah. just now, but that's so yeah, true. There are no. I have a rule that's a funny rule. Is there's no cheerleaders. Like, <laughs> there are in Beacon Hills, and every time one of the writers says, "Well, what if the cheerleaders?" I'm like, "There's no cheerleaders." <laughs> <laughs> that kind of sucks at times too. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but um, bygones. I know, but uh, it's a it's sort of an attempt to create uh, a high school where there aren't these these factions, these cliques of mm. of who's of these people are popular, and the idea is that they all mix, they all uh, commingle. Um, and I like that. It's it's again, it's an idealized world and not necessarily reality, but <laughs> it should be. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> are there high schools where there are no cliques and where mm-hmm. everybody anybody could be friends with anybody else? I mean, hopefully it's dying out with, you know, our generation and, yeah. and the kids who are watching Teen Wolf, hopefully it's reflecting on them. I definitely feel like a lot of issues that so our generation has faced, they are dying out. So, mm-hmm. I'm excited for that and it's yeah. a great example in Teen Wolf. So, I'm very happy to <laughs> see that. In television. So talking about styles, I heard you say that he was once like Perseus and the gifts were bestowed on him by the gods. Yes. But he's going to still be a mortal human. He's like the normal guy based in real life. He has the gifts of intelligence mm-hmm. and cunning. And and what about the red riding hood, red hoodie that <laughs> Joe's wearing? That styles <laughs> kind of. The Teen Wolf hoodie. The Teen Wolf um, hoodie. I know uh, there were a lot of fans who uh, talked about the red riding <laughs> yes. hoodie, but the funny thing is, uh, Scott McCall had that same hoodie in the, a red hoodie in uh, pilot, yeah. in the uh, pilot. Um, that is all chosen by our um, our costume designer. Uh, I she shows me stuff, and I'm basically like, perfect, looks great. Um, so I wonder if that's subconscious at all. I don't know. Uh, there was no real a- mm-hmm. attempted significance at giving him a red hoodie and making him <laughs> a little red <laughs> riding hood. hood. <laughs> so, uh, but it's it's fascinating that fans. Um, key into those details and mm-hmm. and wonder about significance like that because there actually are quite a few things that do have that kind of symbolism Ooh. in Teen Wolf <laughs> and some things that aren't really noticed which we kind of like <laughs> so what's one of like the biggest things that have gone unnoticed is there something you can share God, what, uh, let me think about that <laughs> <laughs> There's, there are a few easter eggs in the show that uh, um well, there, there's all sorts of things from like the tree being in the main titles and uh, the the tree that Lydia draws uh, being the actual nematon tree. Um, uh, there's uh, things like the Kernunos uh, symbol in season two. Um, uh, I don't like to give too many things. Yeah, away. I was yeah, say, no, you don't probably stop. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so. We'll s- could we see Styles as becoming like an emissary? Will he ever not be part of Team Human? We've kind of developed this Team Human. Um, will he be a wolf? Will he maintain that Team Human? That's a good question. My feeling is that Styles uh, probably needs to stay a human. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always say in this in this instance, who knows? <laughs> we may be completely out of ideas in the next twelve episodes, <laughs> and you're like, "What if we make Styles a werewolf?" <laughs> now that Styles' dad is in the loop, are they mm-hmm. going to be working together, and will they compete with Scott and his dad, who's an agent? Yeah, that's an interesting uh, thought. Um, but what I have said uh, is that. Uh, some of the first few episodes will be directly dealing with uh, Stalinsky and the trouble he's having with uh, 
uh, looking on all of his past cases and wondering, was Comic this one, was this yeah. one supernatural? Or was this one real? Was this one a werewolf? Or was this one just a normal, uh, crazy human being? Um, so we'll see. Yes. So do the parents know that Scott Allison and Styles sacrificed themselves to find it to uh, find their location. Do they know about what happened there? I think I think they probably know that something very big happened, mm-hmm. but I would say that's probably a secret. Yeah, I don't. Okay. Talked know the a little bit about, <laughs> we talked a little bit about it, but uh, if you were a teenager, would you tell your parent? Oh, by the way, I sort of. <laughs> Did a sort of no. ritual um, <laughs> suicide with my friends to save your life. I was trying to find a treat. Yeah. <laughs> well, Allison kind of said to her father, you know, there's going to be a lot of bad things coming. And yeah. she rewrote the family code for those. We will protect those who cannot protect themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And can we see, you know, I know she's going to be getting her footing more and believing in herself. But can we see her kind of teaming up with her dad and being able to trust him? Yeah, we we talk about it as the uh, I love the movie Kick Ass. We talk about it as the <laughs> Big Daddy <laughs> Hit Girl scenes. So um, we will definitely be seeing that. There's a really fun episode coming up. Uh, it's episode uh, three seventeen actually, where we'll see them back to back like we saw them in episode 10. Allison is becoming now the leader of her family. Um, and, I mean, I feel like if we've killed off a lot of strong strong women <laughs> in the show, we have to start introducing some new strong women. So we're also going to see... Um, uh, I've teased this at Comic-Con, so don't worry, this is no spoiler. Uh, a new family of hunters as well, mm. led by a, a very strong uh, female hunter. Um, uh, and this woman's great. Uh, is it she, the fox yeah, shapeshifter uh, Japanese folklore? Doesn't thing? have to do with that. We, nothing, we don't know uh, what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a very cool family of hunters um, <laughs> that's led by, by a very cool uh, uh, powerful female. And uh, we're going to have fun with that storyline. Okay. I'm excited about that. And so we see the twins kind of, you know, they get hurt. And does this mean they can't merge anymore? Are they, their powers... Are they going to be different now? They, uh, a part of them has been broken, mm-hmm. yes. So you'll see those uh, consequences coming up in season 3B. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd like to know a little bit about, like, the casting process. And, you know, were there characters that brought some, some traits that you didn't initially write for them? Absolutely. Um, when you, whenever you find a great actor, um, you start writing to them. Uh, we found some phenomenal people like Ian Bowen was supposed to be uh, just a one shot. And I said to him, yeah. I, I said to him uh, in season two, I said, the greatest compliment an actor can have is being brought back to life. <laughs> <laughs> so um, but uh, and I guess that sort of started the and anyone can come back to life. On TV. <laughs> but the other thing is, too, is um, uh, we killed off uh, Victoria in season two, which mm-hmm. I felt was really good for the story and really good for Allison's arc, but we, Edie's we so good. Where is she? So we were trying. She was to, on here last week. She's yeah. phenomenal, and we just love her and and that toughness, which is mm-hmm. why we really were happy to be able to get Edie in for the scene with the uh, stitching in in episode five, where we see how that toughness is also necessary uh, for Allison's growth as a character. Right. Um, Holland is someone who was. Mm-hmm. Uh, deeply uh, um, uh, part of uh, making her character 
bigger and uh, and greater because of uh, the power of her performance. I think she's a phenomenal actor. Um, this was a, a character who um, we wanted her to be the, the beautiful hot girl in high school who was also uh, a secret genius, you know, <laughs> and had to felt like she had to hide that from her boyfriend. Um, and I... I think there probably are uh, a lot of young girls who who uh, still feel that way, which is a shame. But uh, this is essentially a character who is based off a character in Superman Three. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, there's the character of Lorelai. Yep. Remember? Yep. Um, she is uh, the the girlfriend slash secretary of the bad guy. And she plays this ditzy blonde bombshell, but in these certain little moments, uh, she comes out with, uh, her voice lowers, and you hear this thing where she says, oh, it's a computer, looking at these plans. And she's like, oh, uh, I forget, what, what is that? <laughs> and it's really actually <laughs> funny. Um, and we wanted to do, she was so, uh, so Lydia is sort of inspired by Lorelai from Superman 3. Uh, I hope that doesn't get me any lawsuits. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's fun to be able to play those, uh, to take those characters and see them played by a great performer like Lydia, and then she brings all this depth to it. Yeah. Holland brings this depth of emotion to it, where we really feel for her. And in the whole uh, the whole tragic storyline of season two, where she's completely manipulated by Peter mm-hmm. and uh, basically brainwashed by her and used as a pawn in his resurrection, <laughs> um, which is she did it so beautifully. Uh, she's got and, great subtlety. She's yeah. I love actually watching her eyes when she's doing certain scenes. Yeah, and now what we're seeing. Is we're seeing the start of her uh, learning what she's capable of, what her power is, and and the winter season is is seeing her is going to see her master it. So yeah, I heard really, she gets some revenge on Peter too. I'm yes, yeah, we talked that. about that. There was a uh, we we did in a certain way sideline um, their inter interaction. Uh, I think uh, I, uh, Hypable is a fantastic site that. Uh, uh, Karen and, and the girls at Hypable, uh, they promote the hell out of the show and they do such a great job. We owe them so much. Um, so, uh, they, uh, there was an article written about, about, uh, Peter and Lydia actually and I, I sent in a, a thing about it, uh, saying, oh, be patient. There's, there's, there's plenty more story there for us to mine and, and we know there's, there's good stuff in that relationship because I, I personally want to see those two interact. Uh, yeah, we absolutely. Not, we've not really seen Ian and Holland on screen together, no. and I think there could be a lot of uh, a lot of great uh, conflict and sparks there. What I didn't know was every time she screams, it's the same scream, right? Yes, that is so yeah. cool. She's done a bunch of different screams, but we in post we always keep going back to the <laughs> same one. <laughs> I don't think she knows that either. <laughs> we should tell her to stop screaming. You're good here. So yeah. her being the banshee is that why she's immune to the bite or is that something that will go into in 3B? You'll learn a little bit more you'll learn actually a lot more about that in the winter season 3B. Okay. And Christina on Twitter says, if Styles isn't bisexual, then he's at least bi-curious. Was it your original <laughs> intent to for Styles to be seen as bisexual or is that something the fans have created? You know, it, there's a... I have to say that um, I liked... One of the things I liked most about Styles and writing him in the first season was this curiosity about gay guys. <laughs> and in high school, there is a... Uh, um, you're learning a lot of things about yourself. So it was a certain way of um, of uh, not having a character be so clean-cut, 
heterosexual. I feel like every time people write for TV, they have to say, well, this guy's only going to date girls and this guy's only going to, this is, here's the straight guys and here's the, here's the one gay guy on the show, you know? Mm-hmm. The bisexuality is not that well explored in TV. And when it is, it seems to only be women. Um, which I think, uh, like, uh, I, I actually really liked it in Glee. Uh, I've stopped watching Glee uh, for a while now, but um, I thought they handled it uh, quite well. Um, and I especially liked it in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where um, Willow's character changed. I mean, Joe is a huge Buffy the Vampire Slayer uh, fan. And it's um, it's uh, seeing that sexuality is a little more fluid. I think that's interesting. I don't think you see that on TV that much. Uh, so who knows? Yeah. Um, sometimes I heard you were teasing Ethan maybe too to be bisexual. <laughs> Uh, not at the moment. No. Yeah. <laughs> when did I tease? Where are you doing all this? <laughs> <laughs> the fans, you know, I think I they make Tumblr up a lot. Q&As. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so Marie on Twitter says Styles and Lydia developing their relationship was one of my favorite things this season. Will we get more of this in three B? I, I definitely saw that Lydia didn't expect that connection that she felt when yes. she kissed Styles. Mm, yeah. So is that a relationship we're going to get to explore more in three B? I, I credit the actors with with uh, making that scene great. Mm-hmm. Um, I I can't remember what I said to them, is, but I said I think it was be surprised at what happened. And both uh, Dylan and Holland uh, brought it to a different level. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's one of the great things about um, actors and being collaborative with actors is they'll sometimes uh, tell you as a writer where to take the story. And seeing that those sparks happen, they are good together, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, I um, love them together. Yeah. I really hope somehow they end beautiful up Beautiful, too. Together. The lighting on that, the David Daniels, our so DP. So we're definitely going to be exploring the um, uh, the complexities of their relationship. Uh, I always uh, like to say that uh, Styles and Lydia were, uh, it was just a crush, a boy having a crush on a girl, mm-hmm. uh, complete objectification of a girl. He was the prettiest girl in school, and he was in love with her. Um, but he he reveals later in the first season that he knows a lot about her and that she's no, he knows that she's smart and he knows that she's going to go off and win some no, Nobel Prize. Uh, <laughs> and she tells him it's actually going to be the mathematics the prize, medal. the Fields Medal. Yes. Um, so you know Styles' feelings are real. Um, but he has to learn to be an adult as well. He has to learn what what, what adult love is like. And that's um, – not necessarily seeing her for just her beauty, for seeing seeing her for her power, seeing her as someone who can help save the lives when necessary, not not as a damsel in distress and just someone to be protect, protected. And I love the fact that our girls, Allison and Lydia, they get right into the action, you know? And there's mm-hmm. the, that moment um, between Lydia and, and uh, Scott in episode uh, nine at the concert where she tells him, um, if I can just learn how to do this, um, maybe I can help you. And he says, if you, if you do it, I will, I will do everything in my, in my power to, to save that life. Um, and we're going to see that in the winter season. That's something I'm very excited about. I love how he's kind of forming this pack of all of his friends. I was yeah. definitely hoping that that was going to happen. I feel like the twins might go over to his side eventually. Uh-huh. I just want to thank the fans um, for a second before we get into our interview with you guys. Okay. Um, don't forget you guys can download, rate, subscribe on YouTube and iTunes. You can join the conversation at 424-256-1729. We got emails, tweets. Everyone was so excited you guys were coming. <laughs> um, we have 
had Tinio from Germany thanking us for bringing on Edie last week and saying that he was excited for the new wolf shapeshifter or whatever's happening, the Japanese <laughs> folklore. I know you can't really talk about it, but I guess there's some rumors on the internet that he's excited about. And I wanted to thank Phil G, Anthony, Nemo, Swag, Ducky, The Man. Well, these guys have awesome names, don't they? <laughs> Evil Twin, uh, Natty Willie, and Kate on Twitter asks, where's the best place to send Jeff fan mail? Do you have anywhere <laughs> they can send you fan mail? <laughs> um, through, through Matt McDonough. <laughs> on on uh, the, the, the Teen Wolf Tumblr is probably the best place. Teen Wolf Tumblr. There you <laughs> yeah. go, guys. And Mia K. Henderson wants to know how she can possibly become an actress on Teen Wolf. Uh, get an agent and audition. There you uh, go. You got to move to LA. You got to work your butt off getting an agent or a manager. Get into those casting rooms and uh, uh, get an audition. But I bring in actually. I I, I have a um, a policy that uh, any of my friends who are actors, uh, I will bring them in for an audition. And um, sometimes it's not so great. Sometimes it's good, and sometimes it really works out. I mean. Kiahu Kahunui was uh, mm -hmm. just a friend of mine who wow. said, I want to be an actor. And I said, well, put yourself on tape and uh, we'll see how it works out. And he's been on the show for three seasons. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, and yeah. he does a great job. And I'm hoping that, you know, I'm not sure if you can comment if he's going to rise up or be some kind of hero in 3B. But I know everyone's really excited <laughs> for more scenes <laughs> with him. Yeah, well, you'll, you'll see definitely... Um, uh, a more complex relationship with him and Ethan, uh, and things aren't so good at the start of the season because oh. the uh, <laughs> the twins have been out of commission for a little bit. So right, yeah, they haven't been they haven't been returning their phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I just want to get into an interview with you guys. Um, so I'm always interested in how aspects from our childhood lead us into specific careers. So what kind of led you guys into wanting to executive produce and you especially wanting to write as a childhood? What's something specifically that you think led you to this career? I always say if I had a social life in high school, I probably wouldn't be a writer. <laughs> so I sat in my basement alone on a brother word processor typing out short stories and even wrote a novel in high school. Wow. Um, but then I, uh, I got a job at a video store in Connecticut where I lived um, and uh, I started watching movies and I said, I want to get into movies. Um, I wrote my first screenplay, my uh, very first horribly written screenplay at 16. <laughs> And by the time I moved out to California at uh, 22, I'd written about 20. Wow. Yeah. So I was a pretty ferocious writing machine. And um, when TV got into this golden age, I, I remember watching X-Files for the first time and thinking, this is like the movies. This is almost, this is better than the movies because it keeps going. Mm -hmm. um, it really, it lured me toward it uh, because of the ongoing storylines. Um, Joe, what about you? I have no idea how I got here, but uh, <laughs> did you send him your audition north. tape? <laughs> yeah, and, and just in terms of uh, you know, I came out to L.A. to get because I love television, film, and mm -hmm. that's the place to go. And um, winded up working for free, being exploited by various uh, film and television companies for a little while, and um, 
ended up, you know, just climbing the ladders of uh, produ- the production world. Joe has been then, a money yeah. guy for a long time. One of the uh, line you've done line producing, UPM work, uh, sure, working behind the scenes, uh, getting things made. And uh, his job on the pilot was to get it made for a budget. But Joe is actually um, he spends a lot of time in the writers' room now. He's a huge creative force in the show uh, as well. So mm. it's nice to have. Uh, it's nice to have met a producer who wasn't necess- you, you didn't necessarily expect mm-hmm. uh, to be um, such a creative influence. So oh, thank yeah. you, I appreciate that. <laughs> stress. Yeah. So that was you- great. What else? <laughs> <laughs> so you said you wrote like twenty scripts before you came out to LA. Mm-hmm. Now that you're successful and you know people are probably knocking at your door to get you know content from you, are you going That's back? Very weird, actually, because you say now that you're successful, and I'm like, am I? You are? Are you really asking yourself? But I think we can sell that script that you wrote at 16. No, that's what I was... Yeah, like, do you think... Do you go back and reread anything from when you were younger and was like, you know, this was good, maybe I can rework on this? Do you ever go backwards? It's all terrible. (laughs) Yeah, I look at at everything I've written. I'm like, I really should have spent another week on that. (laughs) I mean, there. I, I looked. That's at, how you I, think about the scripts, too. Like, there's a. I wish I just had a couple more days. I do. There's a. There was an episode that was released as a deleted scene the other day uh, from episode nine, I think it was, and it was terrible. <laughs> it was just awful. Well, it was deleted. I said, I said to Christian, "How did you let me write that? <laughs> it was awful." <laughs> so, so um, I think. I think in order to be a good writer, you have to always be learning. You have to mm-hmm. always be improving. I'm st- I still read screenwriting books. What's so. like the number one screenwriting book you would tell someone to read? Because I know you've read a lot of them. Well, I have, and there are many good ones. Um, but I come up through uh, the USC method, the Frank Daniel script writing method, the sequence method, and I think a lot about in, a lot of in, in terms of of sequencing in, in films. Um, and their whole uh, theory about writing at uh, USC is that a story is about someone who wants something badly and is having trouble getting it. The first act is, what do they want? The second act is, how do they try to get what they want? And the third act is, do they get it? And how do we feel about it? I mean, that is such a simple spawn yeah. to work off from. And at first, we're all students there at USC thinking, oh, it can't be this mathematical. But once you find out that that most stories are most narrative stories in film and TV, not necessarily novels or not necessarily plays, um, but most traditional narrative in film and TV are, is based off that spine, it's actually really freeing. Um, and I talk to uh, screenwriters about uh, something as simple as uh, a movie that's seemingly complex like Star Wars, which is what, is what does Luke want? He wants to be a Jedi. There's this big galactic empire happening. But what's it really about? There's a hot princess who is taken because she has plans. Can they rescue the hot princess? They rescue the hot princess. They now have the plans of the Death Star. Can they destroy the Death Star? That is the whole story. (laughs) It's basically, can Luke rescue the hot princess? Um, That's what he wants to do. And that's what he's trying to do the entire second act of the movie. Mm -hmm. Rescue Princess Leia. Um, So you kind of have to build things off of a a structure like that. So I would suggest to writers who want to get started to read um, David Howard's books uh, from USC. He's a teacher there still. Uh, uh, that's just one method, though. Mm-hmm. I suggest going to uh, looking at a lot of different methods. Uh, William Goldman's books are great. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't. I, I wouldn't suggest necessarily Sid Field. His are very mathematical, um, and people can get too bogged down in in structure and not allow themselves to be free. Um, but 
the dramatics of story, uh, you really what you really want to do is is just read a lot, read a lot of stories, and read a lot of screenplays. It's actually really important to read screenplays that haven't been produced, because then you see all the faults in them. So uh, I spent uh, uh, six months being a script reader when I first mm-hmm. moved out here. And, of course, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, I could write a script better than this. <laughs> when you sit down, it's not that hard to get to page 120. You can fill in those pages. What's hard to do is have it all make sense and have it be <laughs> dramatic and have people on the edge of their seats. Mm-hmm. Um, you want people I, – I like it when people tweet or, or, or mention uh, online that they're throwing their – their uh, <laughs> pillow at the TV or something, or they're screaming at their computer. <laughs> I wish they all had Nielsen boxes. <laughs> but uh, uh, there are there are great methods to doing that. Uh, I think that was a very long rambling answer. <laughs> I was going to ask, so how did you go from being, we talk a lot at AfterBuzz mm-hmm. about being a civilian or a samurai, like a lot of people here, like we work mm-hmm. all the time, we all have a bunch of jobs, and then we have our dream jobs. So I know you were developing software, you were reading scripts. Yeah. How did you go from being that civilian to the samurai? Did you get an agent that put your work in front of the right people? Uh, I entered screenplay contests and eventually got noticed uh, by a manager. Uh, she read one of my scripts, then read another, and she said, I think I could sell this. That became one of my first actual sales in Hollywood. Um, there are a lot of different avenues these days. I have to say that uh, if you write a great screenplay, mm-hmm. one that someone can't put it down and they have to keep flipping the pages to get to the end, that's going to sell. Right. Uh, I was in a... I was living in a two-bedroom apartment on, on uh, Franklin Avenue in Hollywood years and years ago, and I'd gotten a screenplay off on online, downloaded it, printed it out, and read it in one sitting. And I was like, oh, my God, this thing's amazing. And the, the ending was such a twist ending, it blew my mind. And I said to my roommate, who wasn't in film and TV at all, I said, you got to read this. He's like, screenplay? I was like, yeah, you got to read this. He read it in one sitting. He was like, that's going to be amazing. Um, and it was The Sixth Sense. Wow. Um, and I knew the ending a year before the movie came out, <laughs> which kind of sucked. But when you, when you read a script like The Sixth Sense, where the first scene gets you right into the mood, and then the last scene blows your mind, there's no way that's not going to sell. Okay. So I tell all the writers in town that, that I meet with, all the new writers, and I say to them, don't worry about getting an agent or a manager. If you, just worry about writing a great story. If you've written a great story, someone is going to hand it to someone. Of course, if you live in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> nobody's going to hand it to anywhere, anybody. But these days online, it can be different. But I still think you have to move out to L.A. So, What screenwriting contests would you suggest? Because there are so many out there. It's hard because I have not – I've been away from it for so long I can't mm-hmm. tell anymore. But there's actually websites out there now that rate the screenwriting contests. Okay. I know the Nichols Fellowship is a big one still. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Austin – I'm not sure if Austin is still doing theirs, but Slamdance has one. Uh, it's any of those contests that can really, it's, that's really read by managers and agents. And managers and agents are constantly looking for good material. Mm-hmm. And they are deluged with, um, bad scripts. Yeah. Right. It's just really bad scripts. Um, it's funny because this is, the, it, this is how the town really works. And I often talk to actors, uh, who say, how there's so much competition out there. I can't seem to get a role. Um, and, <laughs> Being the person on the other side of the table who sees <laughs> tons of actors come in, the truth is most actors out there aren't very good. They just mm-hmm. really are not good. 
you have to work on your craft for years and years and years. Some people are just natural. Dylan O'Brien is a natural. There's, there's, I, I don't think he's ever taken an acting class. He may have worked with a coach once, um, but he just has it instinctively. If you don't, you need to work on it. And we, because we as producers, we are sitting behind that table when someone comes in desperately hoping that they're good. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There is no feeling that when you come in to, to audition that we don't care or we want you to be bad or we're just going to shrug our shoulders. We are dying for you to be good. And then you get up there and you, you're doing this thing with your mouth that's just weird and <laughs> And I know that if I put you on TV, everybody's going to be thinking, why are they doing that thing with their mouth? <laughs> and they're going to be out of the story. And we can't hire that person to do this thing with their mouth. Oh. <laughs> um, What's one of your best experiences on set? Uh, God. Uh, Driving I, on the 405 <laughs> and being in Los Angeles. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yes. Actually, being in Los Angeles uh, is nice because this is our mm-hmm. home. Um I've had, uh, I direct a little bit on the show, which is fun. Uh, it's, it's, uh, um, not something I do very often, but, uh, what I like about it is it's a completely different muscle than, than writing. You're, uh, thinking visually, uh, which you try to do as a writer as well, but, uh, you're looking through a different frame. You're looking through a different mm-hmm. set of eyes. Um, uh, I'll give an example. The, the last scene, the walk through the hallway, in 312 I directed that actually when oh, Tyler comes in through the doors and I knew I, I had a very specific vision for it I wanted it to be flooded with light I wanted it to be nice and slow motion sort of a dreamlike quality to it um, so it's fun for me to do that uh, I often work very fast because I know exactly what I want so the crew kind of appreciates it <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, it's fun to do that but uh, I have a great experience when whenever I see an actor really hit a take I love being able to run up to Tyler and say that was Perfect. Oh. <laughs> or I love actually seeing them do something that I hadn't thought of mm-hmm. in in the the writing, and they take it on their own and they make it better, which is a great feeling too. That's when you really feel like a collaborator when the the actors or the director brings something new to it. Uh, Russell Mulcahy has ideas that I never think of, and he comes to me and says, "What, what do you think about <laughs> like this?" And first of all, and I say, first of all, I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> and I say, um, Does I say, everyone? Does that? Does he ever get offended? By the way, no. I've been, I've been, so. perf- I've been perfecting my <laughs> Russell impression for years. For this moment, <laughs> but um, uh, he's just some of the stuff he does just blows my mind, and I'm like, well, that's not exactly how I imagined it in the script, and it's better. Oh. <laughs> so, as a writer of TV, where there's such a volume of work, you are very dependent mm-hmm. on other collaborators. Like, I call Joe up and I say, "What do you think of this idea?" I call Christian up in the middle of the night and we I read scenes together and we play dialogue back and forth. Fourth, um, I make I made my assistant, who's now associate producer Damon, sit and read scenes with me, and we we act out the parts together. Um, you depend on a lot of people, mm-hmm. and it's partially so that I can blame them when something goes wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's not right. me; I, that was my idea. I know your twin <laughs> brother is a therapist, and you sometimes yes. call him up yeah. and talk about the character's development. Yeah. If you weren't a writer, what would you be doing? Um. God, it's, I, I would probably be a comic book artist, to be honest. <laughs> I drew a lot as a oh, kid. That's true. Um, you see some of my drawings in the show. I drew the tree what? that Lydia's drawing. That's, uh, a, that's a great yeah. looking um, tree. 
I do uh, whenever I have an idea for we we had tried the twin alpha a certain way, and then mm-hmm. I knew that I wanted it uh, to have a split down the middle of his face. So I drew a, I did a drawing of it. Uh, when uh, an effect shot doesn't look the way I want it to, I'll do drawings of it. So um, there was a time when I thought I was going to be a comic book artist as a kid, uh, and. Uh, now it's just storyboards here and there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we get going, is there a, a current like dream project of yours that you definitely want to do in the future that you know you can't right now because of Teen Wolf? But uh, that's funny to ask. Uh, I would kill to do uh, a Batman movie one day. I'm a huge comic book fan, <laughs> um, but. And and in a way, this is uh, sort of a comic book um, television show. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. We've we've turned them into sort of superheroes uh, instead of just monsters. Uh, so this is actually the dream project for me right now. Aww. I have complete autonomy with the network. They just are incredibly supportive. They let me do whatever I want. Uh, I can hire my friends. Christian Taylor and I were, were were good friends before we started working on the show. That I asked him to come aboard, and now we're even better friends. We're the best of friends. I've been able to elevate him to a director and see him shine uh, I'm, I'm able to do things that make me very proud like bringing Joe into the creative side of the business uh, which makes me very happy so I feel like I, I do have a dream job right now Oh well, we are all yeah. very appreciative and happy to be part of your dreams, <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> I just you. want to thank you so much for thank coming you. tonight. It's been a pleasure, and thank you, Joe, for coming. Oh. I can't wait for three B. I know it's going to be like a psychological thriller type. Yes. We're going to dive into the psyches. Is there anything you can tease the fans as we're leaving? Um, oh God, I, I love keeping my secrets. <laughs> I think we've teased enough. Um, there will be. Uh, uh, new villains, surprising new villains, actually. Besides so. Peter, there's going to be a new antagonist. Yes, yeah. Um, but uh, we're hoping that uh, we can just keep living up to expectations, really. So I think uh, I think the fans were 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 mostly pleased by by the, late, the last few episodes. I'm Absolutely. pretty I'm pretty proud of uh, what we were able to accomplish. So hopefully we'll just keep getting better and learning. So yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks again for joining us. I'm Kristen Elizabeth Snyder. You can bing my blog, Cinematic Escape, or you can follow me on Twitter, at Cinematic Escape. Guys, where can the fans find you? I know the Teen Wolf Tumblr. I know you guys don't really have Twitter. Um, I'm going to be at the coffee bean in a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> they can find me on set uh, trying to tap, uh, trying to type out uh, a, a production draft uh, and and trying to stay awake from lack of sleep. <laughs> yeah, these guys are going back yeah. to work right now. Yes, we are. So. I have a script to finish tonight. So. Oh, wow. All right, thanks Thank a lot. Thank you guys again Thank for joining you. us. And we'll see you guys January 6th for 3B. Thanks for joining us. From Bing.com, executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Did I just talk too long? Buzz you later. (laughs) The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.